Good morning, Antioch Church. It's good to see you guys. How you doing? Good. My name is Evan Hendricks. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, and normally at this point, I would say it's a real privilege to be up here this morning. And it is. Uh, but if you ask me how I was doing, I would say I am so tired. <laughs> Honestly, I'm so t- I'm so tired right now. I hope it is. Uh, and I'm, I'm tired for two reasons, okay? Uh, the first is uh, incredibly practical. And if you're a new parent, you'll know what this is all about. But my wife and I have recently been blessed with an amazing son. His name is Wyatt David. We had the pleasure of dedicating him a few weeks ago. And he's, it's a good thing he's so cute, seriously. Because, oh my gosh, man, that kid won't sleep at night. So... We've been up for the last two nights rocking him and feeding him, and um, if you're currently pregnant and going to be having a child, kids are amazing. Um, they're so easy. Um, so, so I'm tired for that reason. Uh, the second reason I'm tired is uh, that to prepare a sermon, a lot of pastors, I think, would resonate with this idea that um, the idea of you wrestle it out, you wrestle with God. And having been a wrestler, I started wrestling in Prineville when I was like five years old and wrestled all the way through college. I know how to wrestle. Um, it's exhausting, right? And so three weeks ago, Pete's like, hey, do you want to um, preach on Sabbath in, in three weeks? And I said, yes. Uh, And I knew what that meant. It meant I was going to be wrestling with God for three weeks, and it was great. Wrestling, there's three rounds, right? First round, second round, third round. And so week one was round one. It was good. I was feeling good, feeling like, man, I got this. Week two, man, I'm a little tired, but still in the fight. This This is good stuff, wrestling it out. Week three, man, leaning hard into the conditioning at this point. Technique's getting sloppy, tired. Right? Um, And then last night, I get to the end of last night, and my wife, Lindsay, is amazing. She's faithfully helping me. I'm reading her stuff, and she's going, that's not good. Get rid of that. Um, (laughs) And then she's like, here's a really good quote you should put in there. And I'm like, okay, awesome. Thank you. Um, And so then I wrapped it up, and I got done last night, and I'm like, made it. Three rounds. And then I woke up at 5.45 this morning, and God said, you ready for overtime? So I'm tired, Um, but I think it's fitting and I think it's good and I think it's a gift to us all this morning because who better to talk about this idea of Sabbath rest than the guy who's the most tired, right? Who's the most desperate for rest. Like I don't wanna talk to the guy that's like amazing and bouncing off the walls and all kind of energy and just got back from Maui, right? He's rested. I wanna talk to the guy that's desperate for rest. I am tired this morning, um, but I'm good. So that's where I'm at. Uh, Where are we at? Well, for the last three weeks, we've been talking about the Ten Commandments, right? And I think Pete has done a really brilliant job of helping us realize what is the purpose of the Ten Commandments. Because I think traditionally for most of us, we've grown up thinking these are rules, right? These are commands, things that we have to do. This is what God says you have to do. And so what do we do? Ignore them right? Because nobody likes rules. And I think, that's, I think that's an honest response, right? Because if we look at the beginning of our story, right? If we go to Genesis and we read the creation story, how God started the whole thing, he created everything. He created humans. He put them in a garden and he said, you have one rule. Don't eat from that tree. What do we do? We break the rule, Right? We eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and then sin enters the world, and here we are. I think that's incredibly revealing about human nature. We're not designed to follow rules. 
We had one. We couldn't do it with one, right? We're not designed to follow rules. We're designed for relationship. The Ten Commandments are God's ten words to his people to say, this is how you be in right relationship. Another way of saying it, this is how you live as humans, right? This is what it means to live as I've designed you, as I've created you. These aren't rules. These are like owner's manual instructions. Like this is how it works, right? Not this is what you have to do. This is how I designed you. But what a gift, right? The Ten Commandments are a gift from God. The interesting thing this morning is that uh, the, the commandment we're looking at is this idea of remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, right? We set it apart as, as, as a special day, right? And I think God gave this command in response to the reality that the Israelites who are receiving these commands these words on how to live, have been enslaved for the last 400 years. They've lived in slavery for generation and generation and generation, which means they don't know how to live with freedom. No idea. We only do what we know how to do, right? And so this fourth command this morning is this invitation on how to live with freedom, which is awesome for us, right? Because where do we live? We live in America, the land of the, the land of the free, right? The home of the brave, which is awesome. And we also don't let anyone forget it, right? We make sure, like, hey, this is America. This is the land of the free. If you have any question about that, watch the first 10 minutes of the Super Bowl today, right? And what are you going to see? You're going to see a massive celebration about the fact that we are Americans who live in freedom, what do we do? We roll out a flag that used to be like one that we carried out on a pole and then it got bigger and then it got bigger and now it's the size of the stadium, right? This is America, right? Then what do we do? We have someone with the most amazing voice get up and sing the national anthem. This song that celebrates our freedom is beautiful. I, I look forward to it because I love to cry and I'll probably cry because it'll be beautiful, right? Love it. But then what do we do? Then we shoot off fireworks, we blow things up and say, this is amazing. We're at a party. Freedom is so good. And then what do we do? Then we fly a couple of F-14s over the top to make sure that everyone knows, don't mess with our freedom because we got the biggest military in the world, right? Now, I think all of this is good, right? The fact that we're free. This is what the founding fathers uh, originally set out for us with this country, that we would be free as people to pursue life, to pursue liberty, to pursue happiness, all good things, right? And today we would translate that, right, for our day and age to say, what does that mean? Well, it means, man, if you come to this country, you can be anything you want. You can do anything you want. You can have anything you want. Man, that's good news. If you're a person that's been living in slavery, that is good news. Now, the reality is we argue about this a lot, right? We argue about what you actually can be or what you can or can't do or what you can or can't say. But at the end of the day, the argument is all based around this idea of freedom. And I think it's because it's a good thing that we're designed for freedom, right? But I think the interesting question this morning that we're going to look at is, what have we done with our freedom? 
Now, I had the pleasure of watching this documentary this last year uh, that was absolutely amazing. And I'll confess, I'm incredibly biased. This documentary is called Look and See. It's about the life uh, and, and kind of thoughts or visions or beliefs of this man named Wendell Berry, right? And he is unbelievable. Like if you remember nothing else this morning, go start reading Wendell Berry and don't stop till you've read it all. It's like 40 books. Unreal. Seriously. Wendell Berry, Wendell Berry, Wendell Berry, Wendell That's what you're going to remember. All right? But I have a clip, right, from the beginning of this documentary, and he's reading this poem that is basically his understanding of American culture and where we're at in our relationships and in our focus and in our, our pursuits. What do we do with our time, energy, and resources? So let's take a look at this. Even while I dreamed, I prayed that what I saw was only fear and no foretelling. For I saw the last known landscape destroyed for the sake of the objective. The soil bulldozed, the rock blasted. Those who had wanted to go home would never get there now. I visited the offices where, for the sake of the objective, the planners planned at blank desks set in rows. I visited the loud factories where the machines were made that would drive ever forward toward the objective. I saw the forest reduced to stumps and gullies. I saw the poisoned river, the mountain cast into the valley. I came to the city that nobody recognized because it looked like every other city. I saw the passages worn by the unnumbered footfalls of those whose eyes were fixed upon the objective. Men and women and children now pursued the objective as if nobody ever had pursued it before. The races and the sexes now intermingled perfectly in pursuit of the objective. The once enslaved, the once oppressed were now free to sell themselves to the highest bidder and to enter the best paying prisons in pursuit of the objective, which was the destruction of all enemies, which was the destruction of all obstacles, which was to clear the way to victory, which was to clear the way to promotion, to salvation, to progress, to the completed sale, to the signature on the contract, which was to clear the way to self-realization, to self-creation, from which nobody who ever wanted to go home would ever get there now. For every remembered place had been displaced, every love unloved, every vow unsworn, every work unmeant, to make way for the passage of the crowd, of the individuated, the autonomous, the self-actuated, the homeless, with their many eyes opened only toward the objective, which they did not yet perceive in the far distance, having never known where they were going, having never known where they came from. What is the objective? Well, when you live in freedom, the objective is whatever you want it to be. What do you want it to be? 
I don't think anybody really knows. And so what do we do in our pursuit of the objective? If you can be anything you want, you can do anything you want, you can say anything you want. Okay, that sounds awesome. How do I get it? Well, you work for it, right? That's like an American mantra. You can have anything you want as long as you're willing to work for it. Well, man, that seems fair. It is fair. Well, when do we work? Whenever you want. You can work from home. You can work 40 hours a week, 60 hours a week, 80 hours a week, 100 hours a week. Well, how hard, how hard do we work? You work as hard as you want. This means you don't have to work. Nobody's going to make you work. Or you can just work a little bit. Or you can work your entire life, every day, all day. Nobody's going to step in and say, that's enough. You've worked long enough and hard enough. So here's my question in light of that. How's that going? And by that, I mean if you were to turn to the person next to you and say, how are you doing? I'd put my money on three answers. I think the first would be, I'm busy. I think the second answer would be, I'm tired. And I think the third answer would be, I'm good, which means I'm too busy and too tired to actually tell you how I feel. Right? We laugh because it's true. I'm good. Stop talking. I'm tired. So I think, I think the, the point that Barry is making, and I think the point that, that I'm realizing and hopefully we're realizing as a people is that what we've done with our freedom is we've enslaved ourselves to an objective that is unknown and that requires work. The extent to which we'll never know. Is this how God desires for his people to use his freedom? What does he say that we should do with our freedom? Well, I think that's the point of this fourth commandment that we'll read here this morning. So in Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11, it says this, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or your daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So why do we remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy? What's the point of doing that? What is it that God is inviting us to there? Well, I think God's inviting us to remember the story that the Sabbath day is planted within, which is that same creation story, the Genesis story. So what do we realize when we go back to that story? I think we see two things. I think we learn what God is like, and I think we learn what we are created for. Well, what is God like? In the creation story, chapter one of the Bible, it says this, God creates things. Then he steps back and he looks at it and he says, that's good. Then he goes over here and he creates more things and he steps back and he looks at it and he says, that's good. Then he creates some more things. And he makes them all work together in harmony. And then he steps back and he goes, you know what that is? That's very good. So God is a being that likes creating good things. 
And then what does he do with those good things? He says, you know what would be really good about this is if I had somebody to share it with. So he creates humans. And he says, hey, I've made all this good stuff. Why don't you have it? And then he looks at Adam and he goes, wait a minute. Adam needs somebody to share that with. Adam, here's Eve. Together, you guys share in all of my goodness that I've created. So in the Genesis story, it's revealed that what is God like? God is like a being who creates good things and shares it. That's the nature of the God that we serve and love. So then the next question is, what is it that we're actually created for? Well, in that story, we read that we're created in the image of that God. We're created to imitate that God. Which the only way we can imitate that God is if we know that God. If we know what he's like. And so humans are created to know and imitate God. All of human existence, that is the purpose, to know and imitate God. Well, how in the world do we do that? Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Okay, great. How do we keep a day holy? What does holy mean? Holy means set apart. It means you take a day and you set it apart. For what? To remember who God is and what we are created for. That's the point of the Sabbath. Set a, set a day aside and just ask those two questions all day. What is God like? What am I for? What is God like? What am I for? God is good. I'm supposed to imitate him. Right? Here's the beautiful thing. What is a holy day? It's a holiday. Get it? Sorry, I'm a new dad. It's a bad dad joke. They'll get better. Right? A holiday is a holy day. So Sabbath was the original holiday. We didn't invent holidays. God invented holidays. That's good news, right? Because we know how to celebrate holidays. Christmas, go out in the woods, cut down a tree, bring it home, decorate it with all kinds of beautiful things, put a bunch of presents under it, give them to each other. It's a good thing. Thanksgiving, what do we do? Cook a ton of food. And then what? Invite people over to share it with. Such a good thing, right? St. Patrick's Day. Eat corned beef. Drink green beer. It's not bad, I guess. It's weird, right? But here's the beautiful thing about the holidays that we know. They all come with an instruction manual. Here's how to Christmas. Here's how to Thanksgiving. Here's how to St. Patty's Day. And we do it faithfully. So the question is, how do we Sabbath? How do we celebrate the original holiday? Here's the good news. The Bible has 39 rules on how to Sabbath. So we're going to go ahead and read through those. Number one, kidding, we're not going to do that. It'd be terrible. Here's the reality. If we want to know how to Sabbath, then we should probably ask the question, how does Jesus Sabbath, right? And to do that, we listen to that story that Mendel read so beautifully from Mark 2. It was a Sabbath day. Jesus and his disciples are walking through a grain field because they've been traveling. That's what they do. They walk and they tell people good news and they travel and they walk and they tell people good news and they travel. And then every once in a while they stop and eat. Well, right now they're in a grain field. And so they're picking some grain, right? And they're eating it for nourishment because they're probably hungry. They've been traveling. And there happens to be some Pharisees nearby, some religious leaders who know the 39 rules. 
inside and out. And they say, Jesus, look at your disciples. They're breaking Sabbath law. What are you going to do about it? And Jesus is like, hold on, guys. Do you not remember David when he and his band of warriors were traveling? And they'd been traveling for a long time and fighting hard and working hard. And they showed up at the temple. And they ate the bread of the Eucharist of communion. And they seem to be okay. And then he kind of leaves that and he goes further into town and he comes across this guy who's got a withered hand. It's diseased, it's broken, it doesn't work how it should. And so Jesus takes this guy and he says, hey, Pharisees, look at this guy, his hand doesn't work. What do you think we should do? It's the Sabbath. I know we're not supposed to work, but what do you think we should do? Now, they're smarter than I am. I probably would have tried to come up with a brilliant answer there to look smart. They didn't. They just sat there and were patient to wait on Jesus. And Jesus said, in his anger, guys, we, we, we heal this guy's hand. I have the power to do it. His hand is broken. It doesn't work. We heal it. And the Pharisees watched that happen. And instead of being absolutely amazed at Jesus' ability to heal the man's hand, they quickly stole away and began to plot. Guys, how do you think we can kill Jesus? Jesus died because he broke the Sabbath. That's where the, the murder plot began. Why? Why would Jesus do that? I think he broke the laws of man in order to reveal the intent of God. I think he broke all the man-made rules intentionally to reveal their emptiness and their brokenness in order to reveal the original intent of God's design for this day. The original intent of the Sabbath day is this. The Sabbath day is an invitation to remember that God is Lord and that he invites us to live according to his nature and rhythm. The Sabbath day is an invitation to remember that God is Lord and that we are invited to live into his nature and his rhythm. What if that were actually true? What if we actually took a day and lived as if Jesus was Lord? What would that look like? Well, I think the invitation of Sabbath, if it's, to, if it's to know and imitate God, to ask those questions, what is God like and what should I do? God is good and I should imitate him. Then I think it would look a bit like the creation story. This is what I think on the how-to Sabbath. This is what I think God is revealing through this story. So if you're a note taker, get out your notes. Number one, do good work. What is good work? Well, in the beginning, in the Genesis story, we see that God creates things and he steps back and he says, that is good. So if we imitate that, then we should create things and we should step back and we should be able to say, that is good. So godly work is good. There's a reason we used to call human production goods. They were good things. We made good things. We still do make good things. But how do we know if it's good? Well, is it good for you to do that work, to make that thing, to offer that service? Is it good for you? Is it good for other people? And is it good for creation? 
And by good, we mean, does it bring life? That's what God did in the beginning. He took nothing and he created life. That's what Jesus did on the Sabbath. He took death and he brought life. So good work produces life. Second, godly work looks easy. Godly work looks easy. How do I know this? Because in Matthew 11:30, what does Jesus tell his disciples? My yoke is easy. My burden is light. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Why? Because if you live according to my nature and my rhythm, you're actually living how you're designed to live. And we watch things that are doing what they're designed to do and we're like, it's seamless, it's easy. It's so simple and beautiful, right? That's what we say. We have that old adage. Lindsay said this. If you love what you do, you don't have to work a day in your life. Have you ever heard that? Yes or no? Am I the only one? Lindsay's the only one that knows that? If you love what you do, you never have to work a day in your life. So live as you're designed to live. That's Jesus' invitation. Yeah, well, what if my job is hard? Or what if my job is actually killing me? Well, then I think there's room there for some really good questions. Why is it killing you? Is it actually killing you? Because if it is, then man, you probably shouldn't be doing it. Seriously. Is it killing other people? How about this simple one? Is it, is it just breaking relationship with other people? Is that what makes your job so hard that you show up and you just witness broken relationship and then you're actually asked to participate in it? That's hard work. That's bad work. How about this? What if God has placed you there as a witness, as a disciple to be able to help your work, your company point to what is good? Guys, I think we can make a better product here. What if you're there to help people participate in more life-giving relationships, to be the one in the break room who isn't participating in the gossip, gossip, to be the one in the break room who's actually asking how people are doing and actually listening and saying, man, that's hard. I'm sorry. Is there anything I can do to help? Maybe that's why you're there at that hard job. Maybe God's got you in a hard place because he's actually got other work for you somewhere else and he's just waiting until you're tired of doing bad work. And he's saying, hey, if you'll stop and just look at me, I'll point you to something better. What if I don't have a job? Evan, what if, what if, I, don't, what if I don't even get paid for work? Well, I think there's three categories of people there. There's people that have the privilege to choose work, truly a privilege. I think there's people that have the privilege to choose not to work. And I think there's people that don't even have a choice, right? And those three categories for me are this, the youth, millennials, Gen Z, right? You live in a day and age in a place in the world where you have the privilege to choose whether or not you even wanna work because you can live in your parents' basement. <laughs> I, usually, some parents, maybe not but you can probably find another parent and their basement is open, right? You can choose to work. You can choose to, to do a little bit of work or a lot of work. And you know what I love about the millennials and Gen Z? Here's what I love. They're sitting there looking at a lot of the work that we've done in the last few decades and they're going, that's bad work. 
I'm not going to do that. Good job. You guys are learning from our mistakes. I shouldn't say that. I'm a millennial, right? Hopefully I'm learning, right? But here's the reality. Don't be lazy. I think God designed you for good work. I think God designed you to do good work. So pursue. What is that good work that I should do? And go start doing it. It's a privilege to choose. I think those that have the privilege to not work, right? And who are we talking to here? Man, if you've done it, if you've made it, if you have retired, you're truly free. The pinnacle of freedom. You can do whatever you want in a country that says you can do whatever you want. So here's the thing. We're not designed to just rest 24-7 or play 24-7. We're actually designed for good work. So don't be content to just indulge. Don't be content to just rest and play. Why? Because it's not how you're designed. And I guarantee you will find it unfulfilling. You will find it empty. Or you'll just spend all your money and then you'll have to go back to work. <laughs> right? Currently, a third of American retirees are returning to the workforce. Not because they need money, but because they're going, man, I am bored and I don't have a purpose. So recognize that privilege. Choose good work. If you don't know what good work is, find a millennial. Help them figure it out. Finally, the people who don't get to choose whether they work. And by this, I'm going to speak directly to the stay-at-home parents. Why? Because there's a lot. There really is. My wife is one right now. She normally is a teacher, but we just had a four-month-old son, and so she has the privilege to stay at home and to just rest all day with her little baby. <laughs> stay-at-home parenting is the hardest work in the world because it comes with the greatest consequences. If we are designed to know and imitate what we know, guess what your children are doing? They know you better than you think, and they're imitating you. And here's God's parenting advice. Parents, imitate me, and then invite your children to imitate you, because that's how we're made. So parents, teach your kids how to work not by telling them to go get a job and learn character and hard work and responsibility, all good things. Teach your kids to work by inviting them to work with you and alongside you so that they can watch how you work. That's how you teach the next generation to work. Include them in the process. It's a lot about work. I know, I thought we were talking about rest, Evan. I know, but here's the reality. There was six days of work and one day of rest. So we've got to talk a lot about work. Here's the final thing about work. Godly work never looks like abuse or misuse, ever. Why? Because abuse and misuse detract from life. They cause pain, they cause suffering, they cause death, and God values life. God creates life, God brings life, God resurrects life from the dead. God values life, so good work never looks like abuse or misuse. Here's that brilliant quote by Martin Luther King Jr. that my wife gave me. Wives are amazing, guys. Uh, if a man is called to be a street sweeper, he should sweep streets even as Michelangelo painted or Beethoven composed music or Shakespeare wrote poetry. He should sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth pause to say, here lives a great sweeper who did his job well. The essence of that is Martin Luther King Jr. is saying, I don't care what you get paid to do. You're designed to do good work. 
And you can do it anywhere. It's how you're designed. Number two on how to Sabbath. Take time to rest. Why? Creation story. God creates for six days and then takes a seventh day and he rests. So if God rests, then we ought to rest. What does godly rest look like? Godly rest is still. Psalm 46.10 says, be still and know that I am God. We stop working so that we can remember that we are not self-sustained creatures, but we are God-sustained creatures. So we stop working to remember, I am not God. God is God. What is work? Figure out what work looks like and don't do it. I'm not going to tell you what that is. Sorry, it's different for everyone. But right, in order to rest, in order to be still, you have to figure out what work is first, and then you have to choose to not do it. I know that's hard. Don't do it. Rest, be still. What does godly rest actually look like? What does stillness look like? Well, we're humans. When do we rest? Anybody? Sleep. No. Sleep when we're dead, right? Humans rest when they're sleeping. That is when humans rest, period. So on the Sabbath, take a nap. <laughs> Sleep in. How about this? Go to bed early. Parents, if you want to teach your kids how to rest, then teach them how to sleep well, which means turn off Netflix, stop binge-watching the latest show, and go to bed. It's what you tell your kids to do. The question is, do we do it? Finally, godly rest never looks like, that was a poor time to drink. Godly rest never looks like laziness or other work. Why not laziness? Well, because we're designed for work and laziness is just choosing not to work, but it's not actually resting. Laziness looks like vegging out all day and binge watching Netflix. Are you truly rested at the end of that day? Do you get up off the couch in your pajamas after laying in this position for 10 hours going, man, I feel rested. No, you don't. Why? Because it's not rest. It's laziness. So don't do it. Other work, chores. I know some of you are like, dude, you know what's restful? Cleaning my house. It's not restful. It might feel really good. And here's the thing. It might be really good. It is good to clean a house. It's not rest. So chores aren't rest. Emails not rest. Working from home's not rest. Recreating is not rest. Sleeping is rest. Why? Because God values self-control. God says you are limited creatures who rely on me. So rely on me. Go to sleep and then wake up. How does it work? I don't know. I really don't. It's amazing. Third, how-to Sabbath. Celebrate the good. God creates a bunch of things, and then he steps back, and he goes, that's good. And then he does it again, and he says, that's good. And then he does it again, and he says, that's really good. God is a celebratory God. He celebrates good things, so we ought to celebrate good things. Godly celebration is joyful. First, First Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 says, rejoice always. 
Pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So the invitation there from Paul is identify the good things in life and celebrate them by doing them. There's this gal right now, she's on Netflix, sorry. She also has a book, her name's Marie Kondo. Anybody heard of her? Yeah, Yeah, we're loving her, I love this gal. She's this tiny little Japanese woman and she showed up in America and she says, let me teach you guys about joy while I teach you how to clean up your homes, right? (laughs) So what does she do? She steps into people's homes and she says, how do you figure out what's joyful when you have all this stuff? What do you do? You hold it in your hand and you close your eyes. And then you ask this question, does this spark joy? Brilliant. (laughs) And she goes, if it sparks joy, then man, keep it, use it, celebrate it, put it on your walls, look at it, play with it. Don't put it in a box in the attic. If it sparks joy, celebrate that. What if it doesn't spark joy? Get rid of it. She's amazing. Marie Kondo, read her book. Don't watch her show. Um, Godly celebration looks like recreation. That's good news for Bend, right? Because what do we do? Anybody know the motto of Bend? What's the motto, the tagline that we tell all the tourists? Anybody? We live your vacation. That's one of them. The one they put on the billboards is play for life. How good is that? Who wouldn't want to go to that town? We live in that town, right? We play for life. That's not a bad thing necessarily. But the definition of recreation is this, activity done for enjoyment while not working. So recreation is so much bigger than we can even imagine, but it is going outside, going for a walk, a run, a bike ride, a ski ride, a, what else do we do? Float, paddle. I don't know. I don't do much of it. I should do more of it. Probably be good for me. But we do a lot of recreating, don't we? So do it. And while you're doing it, Take a moment to pause and go, man, God, this is good. Thank you for mountain bike trails and mountains and rivers and lakes. It's amazing and we love it. You are a good God who makes good things. If you're a family, man, go to a park. You know how many parks are in Bend? There's like 60. There's almost one in every corner. There's more parks than breweries, right? Which is amazing because we have a lot of breweries. But go to a park. Parents. Teach your kids to recreate by recreating with them. Stop dedicating a day to watching your kids recreate. I know it would look super weird to run out in the middle of a soccer field during a kid's game and start playing soccer, okay? But that's what God's saying to do, not me, all right? So parents, recreate with your kids. They learn to play by watching you play with them. So play a game together. Read a book You know what we love to do? We're Hendrixes, so we love to dance. I know it doesn't look like it because I'm really white, but man, we try hard, all right? And every night after dinner, Emma goes, dance party? And we go, yeah. We crank up the tunes, we put on some beats, and we dance. And even Wyatt and his little bouncers like doing this kind of a thing, right? We throw a dance party. Why? Because dancing is so fun, man. It's joyful, especially if you're in your own home and there's nobody looking at you, right? It's the reason we don't dance. Um, What else do we do to celebrate the good? My favorite things, eat good food, drink good drink. Why? Because God made it. And so we ought to enjoy it. So make your favorite meal, eat your favorite food, go to your favorite restaurant. 
eat good food and celebrate that God makes good things. Here's the thing. Godly celebration never looks like gluttony. So while you're eating and you're drinking to the glory of God, don't overdo it. I'm guilty of that. Why? Because it tastes so good. But don't overdo it. Why? Because God values self-control. Don't overdo it. Last thing, fourth, on how to Sabbath. Share with others. Why? Well, because in the creation story, God creates and then he shares it with us. And he says, I want you guys to take care of this and I want you guys to share this with the world. I've shared it with you. Now you go and share it with the world. Godly sharing is sacrificial. Hebrews 13, 16 says this, and do not forget to do good and to share with others for with such sacrifices, God is pleased. Why is sharing sacrificial? Because Sabbath isn't about you. Sabbath isn't about you. Sabbath is about the whole of creation. It's about all of God's good world. And the reality is there's enough. There is enough. There's enough food. There's enough water. There's enough money. There's enough all of it. What's the problem? We don't share. God's sharing is sacrificial. It's not about you. It's about the whole of creation. Godly sharing looks like generosity. So be generous with your stuff. Be generous with your tools, with your homes, with your toys. Parents, how often do we try to teach our kids Share your toys. Share your books. If friends come over, they're my toys. No, they're not. We share in this house. Really, Dad? When was the last time you shared something? Parents, we teach our kids to share by sharing our things. Here's the keys to my boat, man. Take it up to Elk Lake. It's amazing. Dude, here's my paddleboard. Go float the river. It's unbelievable. You don't have a mountain bike? Guess what? I have two. You want to share mine? I don't actually have two. I don't have a mountain bike. Um, lots of you guys do. Share them. <clears throat> so here's the thing. Parents, people, adults, lend a hand. Lend a tool to your neighbor. Let a friend borrow your things. Invite people into your home. Share your home. Share your tables. And here's the reality. In all of it, show mercy. Don't forget the stranger and the orphan and the widow. What if we actually looked at the guy on the corner, the person on the corner, and we read their sign? Number one, actually read their sign. And then what if we actually did what they're asking? Because most of them are asking for this. Please recognize that I'm a human. Right, because they're saying, how about just a smile, a hello, a wave, eye contact. See me as a human in need. And then how about this? Here's the really risky thing. What if you take the 20 bucks in your pocket and you give it to them? Well, why? So then go buy food and beer. What are you going to buy with it? <laughs> food and beer? Right? Are they, are they really going to be less responsible than we will with our $20? So give it to them. And here's the really interesting thing. If your kids are in the back seat, what do they see? Sharing, mercy, kindness, recognition of human dignity, meeting a need. 
That's how you teach your children to share. So godly sharing never looks fearful. Why? Because God values all of his creation. God's what makes this world run, not us. It's not yours to hoard. It's not your stuff. It's God's stuff. He's just asking you to steward it. And the proper posture is not fear of it getting lost or taken or broken or whatever. The proper posture is generosity. Here, you enjoy this. Don't be fearful about sharing your stuff. So the question is, what is the result of a day lived in accordance with the nature and rhythm of God? What happens if we actually lived a full day that way? If we did godly work, godly rest, godly celebration, and godly sharing? What posture does that create in a human being? I think it's this. I think we step back and we look at God and we say, thank you. Practicing the Sabbath inspires gratitude. That's the point of the day is that at the end of the 24 hours, you step back and you say, God is good and he has blessed me. Thank you. I only have one question at the end of all this. In this command, God asks for one day. Give me one day. And then Jesus comes along, who is God, and what does Jesus ask for? What's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your mind and with all your heart and with all your strength. So God's asking for a day and Jesus is asking for my entire being. What gives? Anybody remember Lay's potato chips? What was the old slogan? Bet you can't eat just one. Why? Because they taste so good. They're engineered to be the perfect bite, right? They're salty, they're greasy, they're crunchy, they're small enough that you can put like seven in your mouth at once and then pretty soon the bag's gone because I bet you can't eat just one. I think Lay's stole that from God because God says, if you're willing to give me one day to allow me to be Lord of your life, it will taste so good that you'll want to give me your entire life. I bet you can't give me just one day. As we come to the table this morning, we come to the table to remember. To remember that we are created in the image of a good God. And that we are created to know and imitate him. So as we come to the table, we remember the person of Jesus and we remember that our lives are designed to imitate him. And if we do, the yoke is easy, people, and the burden is light. Let's pray. Jesus, we are so grateful that you have come to be with us, to show us how to live as humans. We confess that we make it so much more complicated than it ought to be. Please help us to lay our burdens at your feet this morning, today, to take on your yoke which is easy and light. Jesus, we thank you for your grace in continuing to love us. We thank you for your mercy in our lives, for the privilege that we experience. We thank you for the opportunity to share your goodness with the world. May we be people who truly know you and imitate you. Pray this in Jesus' name and through the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen.